Rolling Stones magazine released an updated version of the top 500 albums of all time. A list like this was bound to spark controversy. So I'm here to give my opinion on how these albums stack up. I'm Gibbs, and welcome to the Rolling Review. What is up everybody? Gibbs here with number 421 on the Rolling Stones top 500 greatest albums of all time. It's M.I.A. with Arular. Arular is the debut studio album by the British recording artist M.I.A. It was released March 22nd of 2005, recorded mid-2003 through 2004 in West London. The genre of the album is world, Bali funk, electro, dancehall, dance, and hip-hop. Released on the label of XL and Interscope, produced by Paul Byrne, Diplo, K.Y. Griff, Richard X, Switch, Anthony Whiting, and Wizard. There are 12 tracks on this album that are listed, but there is a bonus hidden track, so making 13 tracks total on this album, three of them were released as singles. Those were Galang, Sun Showers, and Bucky Dun Gun. The album's title came from a political code name used by MIA's father, Arul Pragasam, if I'm saying that correctly, during his involvement in the Sri Lankan Tamil militant groups. And themes of conflict and revolution feature heavily in the lyrics and artwork. Prior to this album even being thought of, MIA in 2001 was working exclusively with visual arts and was filming a documentary on Elastica's 2001 tour of the U.S. This was where she was introduced to the Roland MC505 sequencer slash drum machine by Electro Clash artist Peaches. Peaches' minimalistic approach to music inspired MIA, and she found Peach's decision to perform without additional instrumentation to be brave and liberating and felt that it emphasized the artist. So when she returned to London, she unexpectedly gained access to one of these Roland 505 sequencers slash drum machines that her friend owned. And she would use that 505 to make demo recordings in her bedroom. She initially planned to work more as a producer, and she approached Caribbean girls in clubs to see if they would provide vocals for the songs, but she didn't have any success getting anyone to do that. MIA secured a record deal with XL Recordings after Frischman's manager overheard the demo, and Frischman was the friend that she got the 505 off of. It was a former Elastica singer, Justine Frischman, and that is who gave her the 505. So then her manager overheard this demo and got MIA signed to XL Recordings. MIA began work on this album by composing lyrics and melodies, and she programmed drum beats at home on the drum machine. Having produced rough tracks via trial and error, she honed the finished songs in collaboration with other writers and producers that I mentioned on this album. MIA wanted to have guest vocalist on this album, but was unable to 
make any of that happen due to budget constraints, and other artists didn't really know who she was at the time, so they weren't really willing to work with her and be featured on this album with her. So all vocals that you hear on this album are M.I.A.'s vocals. Part of M.I.A.'s approach to this album was that she had heard that audience found it hard to dance to political songs. So she was very into wanting to produce music that sounded like pop, but lyrically addressed important issues. Songs such as Sun Showers had lyrical references to snipers, murder, and the PLO, and was written in response to the Tamil Tigers being considered terrorists in some quarters. Lyrics on this album would cause controversy, and MTV would censor the sounds of gunshots in the song, and MTV US refused to broadcast the video unless a disclaimer that disavowed the lyrics was added. So, a lot of work done to kind of try to cover up what she was letting out, really. I mean, you have her trying to give a different perspective on a situation and people not really being so open to hearing that perspective, which reading this just makes me view the album differently because I wasn't really... Some of this album is very poppy, and it does just seem like a dance album, but when you get into the lyrics of it, there is more important stuff being said there, and it is a very smartly put-together album, even though it comes across as being rather simplistic and just dance music. And it seemed crazy to me that MTV would censor sounds of gunshots and Things like that, just because you hear there's songs with gunshots in them today, and everything's fine, and there's so much, even on your nationally broadcast TV stations, there's a lot of gun violence, whether it be coming from the news or some kind of TV show. So it kind of shocks me that a gun going off within the song would create a problem for MTV. And just, not to really dig on MTV, but all the other trash that they show on that station now. And you look at all the smut TV on there, and yet they were going to be up in arms over some gunshot sounds and wanted to put a disclaimer with the video saying that they don't agree with the lyrics or anything like that. And it's just, I think some of that goes, you don't have to do that. I think that was going far in one direction to try to appease people, and you didn't really have to do it. I don't watch a music video on MTV really anymore because they don't show music videos, but I didn't watch music videos on MTV and think that, man, the CEOs at MTV must agree with everything these artists are saying. I just feel like that was common sense and it went without saying that MTV was just being a platform and 
showing these videos and promoting these songs and not necessarily that, man, we agree with all this. It was more of just, this is what people like to watch and we're putting it out there because this is the song that's popular this week. So here's the music video for it. So that's enough of my rant on MTV. But the release of this album was originally supposed to be released in September of 2004, but was delayed. MIA's record label stated that the delay was caused by problems obtaining permission to use an unspecific sample. There were revised release dates of December of 2004 and February of 2005, but the album remained unreleased, and at one point it was even speculated that this album was just going to be shelved indefinitely, and would never be released. But eventually, March 22nd rolls around 2005, and the album is available. It was released in the U.S., though, not including the track of U-R-A-Q-T, because it was omitted with the issues of the sample not being resolved yet. But the UK edition was released the following month, and that track was included, so they must have been able to resolve all those issues with that sample then. And upon release, this album did an extraordinary thing, and that is made people think. Because of its politically charged lyrics, it was able for, to cause people to debate and speculate the right and wrongs of the Tamil Tigers. After release of this album, it did peak at 190 on the Billboard 200, while reaching number 3 on the Top Electronic Albums chart and number 16 on the Top Independent Albums chart. By April 2007, it had sold 129,000 copies in the United States, which honestly isn't a lot compared to some of the other albums that we've been going through. But you also have to look at just not the United States here, because it seems as if the United States was really censoring this album and not really wanting its success so much. So I kind of forgive sales a little bit there just because I feel like there was an attempt made to not make this album as well known in the United States. The album peaked at number 98 on the UK albums chart, while in mainland Europe it reached number 20 in Norway, number 47 in Sweden, number 71 in Germany, and number 97 in Belgium. When putting this album on the top 500 greatest albums of all time list, this is what Rolling Stone had to say about it, quote, What's the opposite of a girl next door? Perhaps it might be a radicalized, globalized pop star like M.I.A., an English Tamil writer who provocatively questioned and deconstructed ideas about power and rebellion throughout her first album. She raps and cajoles in hard-chopping cadences. I bongo with my lingo, indeed and mixes jokes, disses, and political insight about abuse of authority over electronic beats that can sound like New York City, Electro Clash, or Brazilian Funk, 
and her hipster hit, Galang, hit as hard as any hip-hop around at the time. End quote. So, I initially didn't really care for this album too much. If you go and read my notes, there's not a lot of positive notes on this. And it's not that I felt it was a bad album. It's, I didn't know if it really belonged on the greatest albums of all time list. And I enjoyed this album when it came to just listening to it as a pop record and dance record. And I, I really enjoyed it that way. But I didn't feel like it was that deep of an album until I did a little more research on it, doing the history that we just went through on this album and really learned and dove into the lyrics and saw that behind all this electronic drum machine, simplistic kind of beat, there was a very important message that I was missing initially. And that's probably my fault as a listener and not so much her way of putting it out because when you read about it, she wanted to make something that people could dance to, but she wanted it to have meaning. So maybe that was my fault for hearing these dance beats and things and just assuming that there wasn't a lot of substance behind it. Because... If I'm being honest, for me, some of the lyrics, they're hard to understand in real time if you're listening to the album. They get a little muddied, and it's hard to really hear the message of this song until you actually start looking at the lyrics of this song. So that's why a lot of my notes on this album aren't particularly positive, because I didn't feel like there was a lot going on musically. Usually it's just the same beat throughout the whole song. There wasn't really a difference between chorus and verse. Maybe there would be just one little element that would be added. But there wasn't a lot of substance, I didn't think. But then, again, you read about that's the direction she wanted to go in. She liked the simplicity of artists that she watched like Peaches who sounds like do the same thing that she's doing with the simplistic just one artist up there making a beat doing all the vocal performances so I in a way retract that but that was my initial thought when listening to this I also felt that the tracks listed as skits on this album and I think there's three or four I think three on this album that were listed as skits and to me they weren't really skits there wasn't really much dialogue to me they were just short little samples of songs that maybe weren't finished pieces of work and maybe she didn't have enough inspiration to expand upon them and make them into something more but I wouldn't really label these as skits as maybe just musical interludes because lyrically even in them I felt like she just kind of repeated the same thing over and over again over top of her beat so maybe more of a 
interlude into the next song and less of a skit really because they're to me when someone says a skit I'm thinking dialogue between two people or something like that something acted out and this was just musical little inter I I'm using the word interlude I feel like it should have been called that and I also felt that she used that same concept when constructing the longer songs where I said that she tended to repeat certain lyrics and it seemed like she did that in a lot of these tracks on this album it just repeating the same lyric over and over again and it wasn't until really diving in and seeing what she was, else she was saying on this album that you really got the full context of the songs and that's probably the worst is that in real time it was hard to grasp the concept of these songs. And that was about all that I had to really say about this album. It was a, another quick listen. I think it was under 40 minutes. So it was another fairly quick listen. But I really enjoyed it. I just didn't know initially if it belonged on this list. But really when you see the history behind it and you get into the more politically charged side of it maybe it does belong on this list and maybe rolling stone has it right in where they're placing it i kind of i'm looking through this list right now and i'm trying to think of where it really belongs where it gets slotted in for me cuz initially i was thinking man this this album is it's dropping it's going close to the end because I don't see a lot of substance in it and like I said time time again throughout here it's a good album but was it one of the greatest albums and I thought that answer was no but then it's weird this is the first album that I've kind of had like this where I felt one thing listening to it but then you learn about it and you feel a different way and you learn the history behind it and you just kind of look at things a little differently so I'm having a lot of trouble with where to put this one right now and I feel like I'm going to end up just throwing it somewhere for right now and I would love your guys's input on it and how you feel about it because things certain things weren't there this sales weren't there it didn't look like the awards were there but then it's you know how much is that is well this was a small label this was places like mtv trying to silence this album and you have to take those into account here so looking through and kind of making the best decision on this that i can at this time i think i'm going to move it back a little bit to 428 which is right ahead of beck's odlay but still behind david bowie's scary monster and that's just where i kind of feel like it slots in at this time like i said i would love to know your guys's thoughts and opinions on this as you know you can always reach me, the rolling review at yahoo.com, going over to Facebook, liking the fan page there, where just today actually I went ahead and 
added Facebook as a place that you can subscribe to and listen to this podcast on. So if you want to have a simple way to be able to look at the list there and listen to the podcast still, you can do that right on Facebook now. They sent me an email this morning and let me know that you could link your podcast directly to it. So I did that, trying to make it as easy for you guys to listen to as I possibly can. If you are listening on a different platform, I appreciate that too. You can keep doing that if you want. I don't care where you're listening. As long as you're listening, I appreciate it. Next time, we have Earth, Wind, and Fire with That's the Way of the World. Until then, I'm Gibbs. This is The Rolling Review. Stay safe and be kind.